your highs, your lows, your loves, your losses. This is your Soul Care Companion Podcast, hosted by Marcus and Marion. Your Soul Care Companion Podcast, the place where faith, passion, and determination create the greatest stories ever told. Good day and welcome to Your Soul Care Companion Podcast. My name is Marion. And I'm Marcus. And we are Your Soul Care Companions. Yes, we are. Today's show is quite interesting and quite impacting in, in my opinion. Um, I have as a guest today, we have as a guest today rather, one of my closest and dearest friends, Marcellus. <laughs> and he is going to tell us the story of his life. And in my opinion, before we even get into the details of it, um, you know, you have a lot of people who have this story or who have the, you know, the narrative, you know, I don't look like what I've been through or I don't look like where I've come from. And, you know, people say that. And in my opinion, sometimes it's said quite lightly or based off of standards of Americanized, you know, what to the lowest of the low looks like. Um, but we have really or rarely rather heard it um, in a from a global perspective. And I I'm hoping that today we will get that. So, Marcellus, tell us about yourself, more specifically, circumstances of your life at the time of birth. Okay, well, at the time of birth, I was born in in the 80s, latter part of the 80s, 87, 88, sometimes 89. Um, <laughs> but no, my mom, uh, I was born in, in uh, Angela City in the Philippines. And uh, I was born to my mother at the time. Her name was um, Madeline. She was um, Filipino, and my dad was is full black. And uh, she had me when she was forty, and she at the time was working as a prostitute to make extra money. She already had six kids already before she had me. And I was number seven, which is a complete, like, apparent juxtaposition in the life I have now, where I have, like, one sister. Yeah. But in biologically, I have six. Um, and I don't know any of them. But about four months ago, maybe, yeah, maybe about four or five months ago, I actually got a chance to read through and kind of peruse through, like, all the different legal documents about me being adopted and how that process worked in the Philippines. But she wasn't able to take care of me. She had me and she never brought me home. She left me with some carekeepers for the first five months of my life. And then that's how, that's basically how that worked out. And so my adopted mother was which I, I don't feel, it feels strange calling her adopted mother. Mm-hmm. She, my mother, she was in the military with my sister at the time. And she was stationed in, at uh, Clark Air Force Base um, in the Philippines. And uh, she was not necessarily looking for a child, but she had heard God tell her, hey, be fruitful and multiply. And she was like, what does that even mean? Like, I, I don't even, I'm not even married. I don't have any, you know. I don't have a husband. I have, you know, one daughter. 
And uh, my sister, she's 10 years older than I am, so she was 10 at the time. She was, you know, telling her that, hey, I wish I had a little brother or, you know, or a little sister. But I think more specifically, she wanted a little brother. So I don't know if y'all are familiar, but like in the in foreign third world countries, it's very easy to obtain professional help, like maids, yard people, yard boys, stuff like that. So my mother had... Um, two house girls and one house boy and that was just normal over there and so one of them said hey I have you know a, a lady who's willing to I don't want to say sell because that that sells that sounds inhumane but she was looking to um, have someone adopt her son that she was not able to take care for take care of so my this housemaid had brought several kids to my mom and she was like no I'm not thinking about doing this I think this is too much of a leap of faith and so my mom always tells me the story of there was this little girl that she uh, had brought her that she brought to her and she was like she was just you know a beautiful little girl but she was like no that she just knew in her spirit that was not the child for her if she was to go through with this process and then um, they brought me to her and my mom said instantly I just I gravitated to her and just, you know, ran, well, not ran to her, but clinged to her in a, in a sense. And so, um, but she was like, you know, you weren't the best looking baby. So, because <laughs> I was malnourished, I was, you know, used um, as a, you know, cigarette um, ashtray in, in a sense. And I just wasn't well taken care of. And so I was very thin. I was five months at that point. And my mom was like, she had to step out on faith. And that's what she did. She was like, God told her that this was, you know, her, her son. And she went for it. And so um, that's kind of how that started or how it all began. I always knew that story before I actually got a chance to read the actual legal paperwork from, you know, four months ago. Jamel knows that my mom keeps a very disorganized house. So there's a lot of things that are, you know, a lot of clutter. And so um, I think we just by chance excavated these legal documents. And she was like, oh, you should take these. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I should. So, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and there are several copies. So you could tell, like, you know, she was preparing, you know, just in case anything mm-hmm. ever happened, you know, 30 years ago now to make sure that we had enough copies in case. So um, leading, reading through the paperwork, I found out recently, four months ago, that I had, um, that my biological, biological mom, mom's husband died in 1984. And mm-hmm. he died in a car crash. And it left her with six kids in the Philippines, which is already a, almost, a, I believe it's a third world country, third world country. And so she... Um, was forced to go to work and her actual profession was working at the dry cleaners. And for a side job, the legal terms that they put in the paperwork was that, you know, she was prostituting at the time to kind of make side money, but she had gotten, ended up getting pregnant. And I believe my dad was, was probably in the military because that's kind of what happened. You know, a lot of Americans go to those, you know, countries like South Asia Thailand and things like that and they you know pay money and you know and move forward with that but um it was kind of an accident in her mind and she just didn't she couldn't take me home and it was I think the most touching thing was 
because I'm not a really an emotional person, but I think what touched me the most was that in the legal paperwork, it did say she wanted to give her son a better life that she knew she was not able to do. So what a sacrifice. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And for you to speak about it so optimistic, it means a lot. You say it was. Do you know if your mom is still alive? No. Mm-mm. No, when I saw the paperwork, I tried to see if I could put her name into Facebook and see what would come up. I didn't think much would come up just because I knew the circumstances that she was living in 30 years ago. It's a very good chance that things could have changed. You know, when her kids had gotten older, maybe they had, perhaps they had taken care of her and maybe she had, was on, I could locate her on some type of social media platform, but no, I I, I don't know if she's still alive or not. My mom had kept a picture of her, but I, but we lost it um, when we moved from the Philippines because there was a volcano. So we had to quickly, you know, evacuate the Air Force Base at that time. And then we went from the Philippines to Texas and then from Texas to, to Charleston. I don't know. I've, I often wonder, is she still alive? Is she still out there? Is she, you know, how many, maybe are there any other kids too? I don't know. I think the I think there's probably only six brothers and sisters, but yeah. Don't know the answer to that. You mentioned faith a lot and referencing your mom. And, you know, she heard God tell her to be fruitful and multiply. And it was a step of faith, essentially. What does that mean to you? Hmm. That's an interesting question. So what does... I guess what is the meaning of how does faith play into into that situation? Is that well? I mean, ideally, yes, but specifically, your mom heard the voice of God right. tell her to be fruitful and multiply, and she met this baby mm-hmm. that developed a, a likeness towards her, and it's you, and you know, in obeying the voice of God. She yeah. stepped out on faith and adopted you. Yeah, that's why I thought you meant. Yeah, I think for me is is she railed against what most people would have thought a conventional family should look like, and only her and God had that conversation, and she knew that this was what God's will for her life was without consulting any outside mediums such as a family member, a parent, a grandparent. Because I think so many times in life, friends are fine, your family, you know, that's fine too. But I think sometimes we can, our ears can become inundated with so many different opinions and in their zeal to opine what they think you know is best they can really throw you off from what's God's will for you and how he has set up his own vision for you and I think that that was just the ultimate example of just leaning into what God God's vision for you was and that was what she did and so she leaned straight into that you preach a man of God that's that's really good. And I mean, I, I mean, that's how I think. And so even with, you know, 
recent things that have happened in my life, transitions that have happened for me, new job opportunities that have happened, job opportunities that did not happen. I just always, I think that has really taught me that, you know, you have to lean into what it is that God has for us. And it doesn't always jive with our own agendas. And even though that sounds like, oh, that sounds like really, really churchy, because I'm not the, the most churchiest person. You know. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I mean, growing up in church, yeah. But I, I just feel like my life is a prime example of that. And so when I tell people, oh, this is my mom, and people always ask me, you know, why, you know, you're so close to your mom. I'm like, yeah, because, you know, she literally saved me, you know. Um, and I, at first, I think this is the first time, like, I've been able to really talk about it without getting emotional. Mm-hmm. Because I do, I don't get emotional about a lot of stuff. But this stuff I get emotional about. And Jamel knows. I just started talking about this maybe about two years ago. If Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And just so you listening know that uh, Marion is Jamel. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> he, he, he goes by a couple names. Just so. two. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're listening to your Soul Care Companion podcast with Marcus and Marion. Your Soul Care Companion podcast will soon be celebrating one year of podcasting. As we grow, we're looking for partners like you to grow with us. Join our community and sponsor episodes. Go to yoursoulcarecommunity.com and click on podcast for details. I'm really like attracted to this whole notion of leaning into. Yeah. If we can just kind of talk for a minute about like what that means today, you know, leaning Mm -hmm. into God's will, leaning into God's plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. It's different when you grow up as a kid and you hear, you know, you got to be in God's will. You got to, you know, it's it's like, okay, I, I get it. I don't think anyone is going to say, oh, no, I don't want to live in God's will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to do what you know, I, I want it to be all about me and I have all the answers. I don't think anyone in their right mind says that. Or even if you're not Christian, even if you're, you know, of some type of other, you know, faith. I think that no one goes into life like that. But I think it's one of those life lessons that has to be learned by experience and also practice. So like, I remember when I was interviewing for a job, I I was so anxious to get myself out of the, out of a past job that I was in. I, it didn't work out, you know, on two separate occasions. And I never was sad about it because I was like, oh, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just be still. And this was not, you know, the vision that was set out for me. And I wait patiently for something else. And there were times I had gotten discouraged about it, but it, weren't, it wasn't a time that I had went through a, like a depression. Because I just feel like even though you, you grow up and you're always told, it, it does help. To know that that is in there, you know, at some point, and you can go back to those old messages and those old words that people have, you know, said and shared with you, and then pull those back out while you're actually going through it. So, I guess, in the lack of better terms, like if you recognize what people are saying, that people are saying, hey, there, there's going to be a time when you're going to have to really lean and lean on him, and you're going to have to really lean into the vision that he has for you. I think you just go into certain situations with. A different set of eyes and you're like okay this is it 
of this is oh that's what they meant and that's what helped me so tying it back to my mother I think there was probably no one there to you know break all break all that down for her I think she was just going through it mm. and I think that she was just going through the going through the motions but going through it only with her and God you know right. which is such a powerful story I, I just always you know am amazed and when I think about it, I guess when I talk about it, even now, I, I still feel like, wow, that was a lot of faith and a lot of courage that a single black woman who was in her 40s, you know, well, she was just 40, but who was 40, you know, had to, had to have. How does your beginning um, serve as a guide for you today? Your beginning and where you came from, how does that guide you today? I think honestly, it's, it's guided me in more in my more moral character and mm-hmm. developing a stronger moral compass every day. Because I don't want to compare myself to anyone else, but in comparison to how I probably was before when I was younger, to how I was in my twenties, to now how I was how I was in my mid twenties, to now you know going into my thirties, I think. That same, this same story will mean something different when I'm 35, when I'm mm-hmm. 40, when I'm 45. So I think that it has just been one of those, I think it's been a very precise tool in helping me define who I am throughout my life journey. Mm-hmm. So it meant something different to me when I was 25 or 26 or 23, but it means something totally different to me now as I'm 30. Because I'm able to kind of call out from that from that example or from that story, okay, little different examples like okay, like when I talked about my biological mom, I didn't know that she. I, I think I knew kind of like, hey, she's giving you up because she, you know, she can't take care of you. But you don't know that for sure. Well, I didn't know that for sure until I actually read it four months ago. So now this whole story, even though it's the same story, I have a new piece to it. And it's taught me more about sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know. And so not only was the story about, you know, leaning into God and, and having faith, but there's another, you know, element to it that talks a little bit about, well, for me, that talks to me about sacrifice and having to sacrifice, um, you know. And I don't know what that, you know, what that's going to look like in the, in the next couple of, you know, months or years. I I don't think I'm in somewhere in my life now where I need I, I drastically need to sacrifice for some you know for mm-hmm. someone or you know I'm not trying to sound selfish but you know what I'm trying to say I just know that that's a different meaning to me and it just helps me be more cognizant of okay do I need to sacrifice more or am I sacrificing enough for friends I'm not in a relationship so I'm not sacrificing for that or am I sacrificing enough for family so that's what that story kind of does for me now as a 30 year old gotcha i'll be honest with you when we first thought up about your story and this topic we were more so attracted to the fact that you were born from a prostitute and that you are successful oh yeah but what i'm hearing is you were born from a woman that sacrificed it all mm. so that you could have a real chance at life. You were born and adopted by your mom 
who heard the voice of God. Mm-hmm. And these ultimately are two women of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just amazing to me, you know, because statistically, you're not supposed to be a success story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I mean, talk to us more about like what drives you, what motivates you. I think what mo- motivates me the most is like when my mom told me I was adopted when I was, she told me like when I was four, four or five, because I remember her s- sending me down. I remember her distinctively saying, hey, I want to let you know because I don't want you to find out from anyone else. This is the deal. You're adopted. And I didn't know that as, as a four or five year, I didn't know what that even meant. And then I had to go away. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I did go away. But my mom went away to Korea. So I lived in Mobile and my sister lived Mobile, Alabama, and my sister lived in Austin, Texas. So the family members that I stayed with were not my obviously not my biological members, but she I think she was preparing me for like living alone without her for about a year mm-hmm. and she didn't want me to hear from other people. But she always used to tell me that, you know, you're special because unlike a family or a child being given to you know, you know, God giving them to a, you know, to a traditional family. You were chosen, which is a little bit, uh, which is a bit different in in the sense that, you know, you were specifically chosen to be in this family. I mean, it's not a large family; it's just me and my sister and my mom. You know, but that drives me. I think that how, how can I put it? Oh, you know, Oprah said this really one one, one time on her um, master class. She was talking about how and I could relate to it how some people when they get to have babies and they have like a baby shower and they get a you know they get all these different presents they're in a I guess in a position of expectation for that child and then that child is being you know is waiting to to arrive when I think about my situation where there was no one on the other side who was like oh he's coming you know, there's a baby shower for you know for for her. None of that was going on, but it just made me to today because that was what the question was. It makes me more grateful for what I have than anything. I've never been sad about being adopted. I've never, and who knows? I might, you know, there might be a little bit more passion there to kind of find out who she is and see if she's still alive. I don't know what the first. I don't know the first step to doing that would be, but I think for now. Like your question was, what does it relate to me today? It's me being grateful because even though I was not, there was not a sense of anticipation for me to arrive with her, but there definitely was a sense of anticipation from my adopted mother and my adopted sister. And that just makes me so much grateful for everything I have today. The fact that I was chosen into a family versus just being given to a family. I just think it just it definitely heightens your sense of gratefulness, your attitude towards other people, your willingness to be kind to people. And I just feel like I those have been my main motivations because of my own personal story. You know, one of the things that I can personally say is that you have been one of the most consistent and loyal people in my life. And when you finally shared that that story with me it kind of made sense to me why mm-hmm. you know like you're very 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 loyal because 
of all the principles and all the things that you just stated. Um, so I just wanted to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you didn't know. Like, nobody knew. No. Mm-hmm. And... And that's a totally different story. Ooh, but today. yeah, no, we you know, we don't have to, but it just came out out of nowhere. And I had to go back and tell my closest friends who you know, like Jamel, but I have known him since, you know, I was ten. Mm-hmm. Whenever I moved to Charleston, like nine or ten. And he never knew. And he never really asked questions about like, Hey, where's your real dad? Or who's you know, where's your dad? I don't think he I mean not that I can remember, but even like my best friend, none, no one knew, except for like people who had been friends of my mom's. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew, but I never had talked about it or spoken about it until I was forced to. In a sense, I don't want to say I was forced to, but I, I felt like I needed to because it had kind of gotten out, you know, by accident or maybe I don't know. I wouldn't even say accident. I think it was intentional. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> wow. I mean, I mean, to you listening. Marcellus was going to be anonymous, but at the last minute, he's like, no, I don't mind sharing my identity because Mm -hmm. this is your story. Yeah. And I think it's not only your story, but it's powerful. For those of you listening, when we, as Marcus originally said, you know, at first we wanted to highlight, you know, being the son of a prostitute and then how do you go from that to being successful? And we thought of that because you know Marcellus is recently just turned 30 and he's on his way to his doctorate yeah mm-hmm. and you know not only is only is he one of my most loyal friends but he's one of the ones that I'm proud of the most because I know his narrative and I know his story and I'm so absolutely glad and grateful that he along with, you know, some of the others that we've had on our show, have taken their pen back and decided to write their own narrative. And even if it includes details that you had absolutely no control over, you still have the pen and you still have the ability to finish the story. Well, not only just finish, but write the story from this point in your life now and finish it. And I really can honestly say that you have done that. Marcellus. Yeah, thank you. And I, I, I think that some things are innate and some things aren't. Some mm-hmm. things are just learned. Um, I think for me, it was just a mix of both. You know, going through life, you try things out. They don't work. Try this out. This works. Practice that more. But I think you're right. And I think for me, this has been more of embracing this story. Mm-hmm. Because when I was younger, my mom, you know, the, the second piece of that story was when she told me when I, I was adopted, hey, you're adopted. I don't want you to find out from anyone else. But the other piece to it was, but don't tell anyone. And I don't think that my mom meant for me to tell anyone. I don't think she, how can I word this? I don't think she, her intent was to tell me not to share this story because I should be ashamed of it. I think she was trying to protect me from questions I probably wasn't yet able to answer because I couldn't comprehend it. But for me as a kid, as a four or five year old kid, the way I processed it was it was something I should be ashamed of. And so I never, and then living in in Charleston, South Carolina, where everybody is related, you know, that really was tough, you know. 
that was pretty tough. But I think now <laughs> my 28, you know, 28, 29, 30, 31, you know, I, I keep quantifying because I think every, you know, you should be progressing and, you know, be maturing. But I think now I'm starting to really be able to embrace the story more. And that's why I was so willing to say, oh, well, that's okay. I'll come on the podcast. You know what? I think I will share my name. And I will give extra details because it's going to help someone. Hopefully it helps someone else. And that's a great segue into the next question. Right. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was recently uh, reading on Facebook. One of my old professor's son um, was being bullied at school because the kids found out that he's adopted. What advice do you give to kids who were adopted or are adopted who may be struggling with their identity and struggling with um, acceptance? What advice would you give them? And I wasn't prepared for that question because I haven't, I think a lot of those feelings I just suppressed for so long. I think if I could do it again, or if I was able to talk to my younger self, which would be in a, in terms of advice, for me, I would have said that it was that it's nothing to be ashamed of, and I would have been more sensitive to the fact that this is something that you adoption is more of a selection process and more of a, of a special process. It makes you a novelty in a sense where you're, as I said earlier, you're not, you're not born to just a family. You're a family chooses you. And it's, it's tough because no, as I said earlier, it's a kid can't really process that. Like I processed enough to know that I was adopted and not to share this with anyone. And that's it. I, as I said, I, you know, I'm telling the truth. I never really cried about, oh, my mom didn't want me. I never had those type of feelings. And I think it's probably because, and some people are different. I didn't have those feelings because I never knew her. So, you know, there was no feelings there. But what I did struggle with, as I said, was, was the contending with the shamefulness of it or feeling ashamed or embarrassed of it. And I think the only way that you can get through it if I was talking to my younger self again, is to have more of a conversation with your with your family, with your with your parents, with your siblings, with your you know, with whomever in your immediate family to talk that through. Because sometimes you need to hear from them and it doesn't always have the same type of effect that or effect that you would have coming from someone who doesn't know your situation or a school counselor or a psychologist or a family counselor it has more of a lasting effect if it comes directly from the parent and so sometimes and I'm not throwing my mom under the bus because she didn't know because I didn't talk to her about it mm-hmm. but I think if kids have or even maybe I should say the owner should really be on the parent if the parents really open up the lines of communication and just be willing to say, hmm, is it possible that he could or she could feel ashamed of this adoption process? Let me be cognizant of that and open up the lines of communication. I think that would probably be more helpful and it would have helped me more 
You know, does that make sense? Because so my what hmm. you're really saying is affirmation. Yeah, and you know, opening up and letting them know like you're here not because we just you just happen to be here. You're here because we wanted you. Yeah, I think yeah, exactly. Because I think I I was really sensitive about it, and like I like as I said, I, this is nah, this is not calculated because I didn't have any intentions of talking about that piece. But I do remember like one time my mom said because she's super spiritual, she's like, "I'm on a you know I'm on assignment, and you're my assignment." And I was like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> and I got um, offended by that because it made me feel like I was less than. I didn't understand, but then you know we talked about it. But it was good that that happened because then we got a chance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. She she had an opportunity to unpack that, and I think a lot of times mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know exactly what people are saying, and we mm-hmm. it's easy to assume and presume. Mm-hmm. But instead, you know, when we are able to ask questions, um, and, and I was actually thinking that as you were talking, like. What type of world would it be if we really got to know the people in our circles mm-hmm. beyond what they wear and beyond what they like, like to really find out who they are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'd like to end our show with this statement. I am. And you finish it for us. I am. I am someone who started from completely nothing um, and ended with a lot. A lot of friends, a lot of love, a lot of um, experiences and professional opportunities that honestly were not um, or are not associated with people who have the same type of background that I have. so I don't know. I, do I need to shorten it because I feel like that was pretty long? <laughs> no, I feel oh. like it was very powerful. Oh, okay. I like I mean, there's so many takeaways oh. from this interview. Oh. Yeah, there are, and the the thing that really hit me and impacted me as you were saying your I am statement is that you started out not talking about material anything material. Oh yeah, you started out talking about things that were the antithesis of what you started friends family and people that love me yeah mm-hmm. and that's in, that's powerful and impacting to me and even to the person who is sitting there who has been adopted who has children that are adopted or even a child who may be listening um who was adopted that is powerful i am someone who has Many friends, family, and people that love me. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh my God, I'm, I'm just so excited about like this one phrase that you use about leaning in to God's will. Like I can like <laughs> literally lean into this microphone right now mm-hmm. um, because I think when you are able to lean in to God's will and to God's way, that you're able to receive that love, those mm-hmm. friends, everything that you need. And on that note, okay. (laughs) We appreciate you being here today. I really appreciate your transparency. Um, I really appreciate you agreeing to do this and share your story with, you know, all of our listeners. Thank you, Marcellus. Oh, you're welcome. 
Well, we are your soul care companions. I'm Marcus. And I'm Marion Jamel. And I like to say, I'll see you next time. But Marion always says, uh, you don't see him. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a podcast. You can and listen to exactly. you only. But <laughs> I look forward to seeing you um, September 30th at our soul care experience. Um, we're sure Marcellus will be in the house. I'll definitely be there. Yep. And we hope to see you too. Check out our website, MarcusJohnsonOnline.com. And you guys have a great one. And hey, We'll listen for you or be listening for next episode. Thank you. Thank you for listening to your Soul Care Companion podcast with your Soul Care Companions, Marcus and Marion. Stay connected with the Soul Care Community at Your Soul Care Community on Instagram and Facebook. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for all new episodes.